Welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, I have Major Williams. Major Williams is a gubernatorial candidate for California, the recall election. A lot of news, a lot of hype around this election. Major, welcome to Indisputable. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely, let me first start the conversation because this is under your frequently asked questions. You're not actually a high ranking military official. You changed your name from Courtney to Major, correct? Absolutely, but I've gone by Major Williams for the last 20 years as a nickname. But when I ran for mayor in 2018, obviously I wanted my name on the ballot to reflect the name that everyone knew me as, which is Major Williams. Got it, let's talk about critical race theory. Um, I don't want to presume your point of view of CRT. I know that was one of the subjects you were willing to converse about today. Uh, what's your thoughts about CRT, critical race theory? Well, I feel like it should be an open conversation uh, on either side to truly understand what those elements are. Me, from a leadership perspective, I believe in having a dual perspective, meaning that I'm open to other opinions and ideals. And I'm, and if you're able to convince me it's a, if it's a good or a bad thing, I'm all open for that as well. But at this point right now, it's not something that I truly support uh, in regards to the mechanisms and the elements. And it reminds me simply because uh, it reminds me of back in the day, if you remember Ruby Bridges, uh, there was a scenario that I read about a story that she shared about um, you know, being identified with certain triggers. You know, you don't know that there is a problem unless you bring it up. And I think if you do that to kids being so impressionable, that changes the, the dynamics of their youthful experience in life. Now, you talked about kids. Um, you do know that critical race theory is not taught to kids. It's not taught in K through 12 education. It is an advanced theoretical framework that's usually taught in advanced level collegiate studies, masters and doctoral programs. So when you say it should not be taught to, taught to kids, it's been around since the 60s and it has never been taught to children. So explain where you think that came from. Why do people continue to say that we should not teach it to kids when we don't teach any advanced theoretical framework, including critical theory or critical race theory to children? Right, I believe you understand when it comes to the, the actual the label of it and also what the teacher, teachers are actually teaching the kids. So. Mind you, you know, on the on the uh, curriculum, it may not say critical race theory, but the mechanisms and the proponents that they're using to indoctrinate the kids in the education or the teachings has those elements. So yes, you may be right in regards to it's only for advanced uh, educational, um, you know, placement or whatnot. But those elements do exist today in the educational system, and that's something that a lot of parents, including myself, if that's the case, are going to push back on uh, without a doubt. Can you describe to me or explain the teaching of critical race theory? What does it say? Well, I believe from an example standpoint, because this is something that as you as you mentioned, it has been around for a very long time, but more specifically, it's been highlighted for a lot of people based upon the actual name of it. So that's gotten a lot of people in an uproar. But for me, it's more so about the mechanism of it. And that's why I use the example. From young impressionable kids, I believe as leaders, meaning the teachers, if you're change, if you're if you're cementing a thought process to a kid versus building them up and empowering them, <laughs> telling them that they can't do certain things based upon their color, based upon their uh, their race, or based upon their uh, their background, that psychologically affects kids. And I'm all about empowering youth and kids. 
Yeah, so Major Williams, uh, come on brother, you did that politician thing. You did not answer my question. You spoke for a while, but you did not answer the question. The question is direct. What is critical race theory? I don't wanna know about your thoughts and feelings. Critical race theory actually has a defined uh, core. This is what it is. It's like saying, if I point to a piece of fruit and it's an apple, and I say, what is that piece of fruit? You say, well, that's an apple, right? There's, there's an actual definition here. So what is critical race theory? How can you be critical of something you don't know anything about? So I'm asking, what is critical race theory? So as I said earlier, for me, it's not a concrete criticism, which is why I, as a leader, I'm doing the work. We're putting together an amazing task force for for individuals who actually believe critical race theory is a good thing. Also individuals who don't believe in it, so I can also get a better understanding as well. I don't sit in front of any camera and profess like I know all things. I can share my opinion based upon what I've received thus far. But from a leadership perspective, it's it's time, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I want to get to the table with and understand it better for, for everyone else so I can understand the mechanism of it moving forward. Well, brother, let me take this opportunity uh, to provide an education for you. Uh, critical race theory, uh, as I said, it's an advanced theoretical framework. Uh, it comes out of the legal scholarship uh, studies, which basically says that the way policies, statutes uh, were written, it actually created by design inequitable outcomes where people of color were not as supported in the ecosystem of criminal justice, in civil justice, or even in institutional norms as their white counterparts in the United States of America. You don't have to go any further than the US Constitution who said, that said, that document said that you and I were three fifths of a person. Well, that's considered to be an inequitable issue that has to be remedied. You have to remedy that not by saying white people can't be racist or shouldn't be racist. You have to provide remedy for that based on a policy. Also, the Declaration of Independence called Native Americans savages. That is the language of the Declaration of Independence. You cannot remedy that by simply saying, well, white people should no longer be racist or we have to forget about the racist past. You have to remedy that once again by providing a policy or an amendment to make the remedy there. Keep in mind, critical race theory actually de-emphasizes the individual racist and said your problem is not really with individual racist people. Your problem is in a structure or design that has these implicit and sometimes aggressive biases written within. And because of those biases, we have to do an analytical review of what these biases have done to the expression of our societal norm. That's all critical race theory does. It does not give you an answer or a conclusion. It provides a framework, brother, for a question to be posed. The, the thing about a framework, whether you agree or not, it can be misinterpreted or manipulated as well, like all things. So I just want to make sure that individuals and leaders that are creating this framework, that are a part of sharing this framework, <laughs> are not manipulating the basis. Man, come on, Major. Major, why do you think it's been around since the 60s and it only became the great evil? You got Pat Robinson and other people saying that it's the great evil. It's been around since the 60s. It has never been taught a K through 12 education. There are plenty of people that have studied this as one of the theories of how race and racism can be examined in America. Why do you think it only became a great evil in America when Donald Trump said it was an evil? That's the only time it became this bright, shiny thing 
for Republicans to talk against. Tell me why. Well, I believe that people have been talking about it. You know, we're the height of social media at this point. So of course everything is gonna be polarized, especially if the former president of the United States talks about it. So you but do agree he polarized it. Huh? You do agree he's the guy that polarized it, correct? Say that. I've never heard him mention it. You've never heard President Donald Trump, the former president, mention critical race theory. No, I haven't. All right, well, let me educate you again. When he was president of the United States, he talked about critical race theory being anti-American. He also provided a policy through executive action that said if your diversity inclusion training of any federal department includes the teaching of critical race theory, you will no longer be funded by the federal government. So he's the guy who started this attack. Brother, I need you to know the origin of where it came from because you have to at least question if this has been around since the 60s, why all of a sudden are we talking about it today? You see, well, which, you still saying something that's been around since the 60s, that doesn't automatically make it something that was appeasing or appealing to, to America. But brother, why and is it a great evil today according to conservatives? I'm willing to have those conversations. And like I said, I'm not the, I'm not a, a, a typical politician, I'm a hybrid. I'm, I'm okay. new in this space to, to a certain degree, but you know, and I don't dance. And if I don't know something, I don't know something. I, and I receive the, the opportunity to be educated so to speak, or to learn new things so I can actually expand my mindset in regards to that. Um, but like I said, I've never heard him uh, specify that in that way ever. Well, you need to do your research brother because he absolutely did and even provided a policy directive uh, in uh, inside of his bias against it. So do that research. Uh, you do agree that systemic racism does exist or do you disagree that it exists? I believe racism is a key component and key element in our country and I think across the entire world. So, well, answer this yes or no, cuz I, you know, I don't want to presume that you said yes or no to that. Does systemic racism exist? No. Systemic racism does not exist, but racism exists. That's your answer. Absolutely. Okay. So, let me let me try yeah. to so give me your definition of systemic racism versus racism, but also understanding that racism has been hugely overused um, you know, through everything. It could be, I just don't like you as well. So we need to break down what that truly means in prison. Yeah, let me, yeah I can do that for you. Um, systemic racism is when you look at your FBI.gov report that shows uh, routinely blacks are more likely to get pulled over uh, without any prerequisite criminal activity three to five times more. Uh, than a white driver uh, and whites are as likely if not more likely in some regions like New York and uh, even LA uh, also in San Francisco. Uh, they are whites are more likely to likely to actually have drug paraphernalia or something illegal inside of their vehicle. So that's part of a systemic racism issue. Not only is the outcome unequal, but also before the outcome happens, the stop itself is unequal. There's another expression of this as well. When you have a racist police officer, that police officer typically does not exist in a silo. Here's my point to that. A racist cop, people know who that racist cop is. How can the racist cop exist in an ecosystem of justice without being called out before there's an expression of violent racism? A racist cops exist. Um, how are you figuring out that they determine that or know that factually? Is it a, a bad behavior from the officer? Is he showing certain bias? Is he has an attitude? Like, how is it? Okay, I can give you some background to that. Fair question. 
Yeah, very fair, fair question. Uh, typically, in the course of the investigation, uh, we've had that with a deputy sheriff here in Georgia. Um, you've had this with other police officers who have been uh, called out for racism. Uh, once there's an analysis of their text messages, they utilize the N word on a regular basis. Uh, you will find that there is a culture of white supremacy by their tattoos and what they subscribe to on social media. So these are very common elements of um, of policing or police officers who are racist. They, they typically are not racist in a silo. They have a culture of racism that is exposed once an investigation happens. So that's why I'm getting it from. Okay, okay. I mean, if it's something that's verifiable, as you said, text messages and uh, you know, uh, white supremacy tattoos or whatever, I'm about fairness, man. I believe in accountability, but I do support law enforcement 100%, but I do not support bad cops and I will speak out against them at any given moment if that's the case. Man, I'm glad you say you do not support bad cops, but you do support policing. So roughly 95% of Americans are for police reform. 58% of Americans, they say police reform must be dramatic. Even 51% of Republicans support some level of police reform. Now, why do you think it has been so difficult to get a real police reform bill passed by Republicans and Democrats when the public sentiment is there to do it? I believe it comes down to ideology and the road to actually get there. You know, there's a lot of different moving parts because when you're making policy that's blanketed across the entire country, um, the, the dynamics is different per per county, per city, or whatever. So if you put together one size fits all policy, then they actually can prove more detrimental than helpful. Mm. The fact that individuals are saying now defund the police department when we should be doing reform and more training, which requires more funding for those uh, police departments as well. So the dynamics is a little different, and I, like I said, ideology-wise, I don't, I don't think they're connected, which is why policy uh, can't come to the table and get pushed forward on that matter. But hopefully, uh, that's going to happen because, as you said, you know, the people are speaking and supportive of it. Well, let's talk about policy. First of all, all policy is uniform. All policy is one size fits all. Murder, federal murder is federal murder, no matter who does it or what state you do it no, in. I, I, so all policy. I'll share with you a little context on right. why the putting of the head is, is happening when it comes to actually getting it pushed through. Regardless if it's uniform, if it's uniform, okay. it's, a little, it's a little challenging because you do have a two-party system that's okay. buddy heads, and you oftentimes they don't want to apply policy or push it through unless they get something else, you know, uh, catered to them as well. So yeah, and that's the that's the game of politics, man. I don't like that part, Major. I don't think you like that part either, by the way. I think you would like to see pure bills be presented in good faith and, and you fight on that bill, not the trickery behind it, right? Absolutely, 100%. Let's also talk about defund the police. I actually support the defund the police movement because I understand what the movement means. Defund the police means to reprioritize policing budgets, to reimagine what policing is. So let's talk about this in the context of what police agencies actually do. I'm gonna bring you to a place called Ithaca, New York. And when you get a moment, I want you to research Ithaca, New York. Ithaca, New York did not have to wait on a George Floyd murder. Ithaca, New York did not have to wait on a Sandra Bland or Breonna Taylor. Ithaca, New York, they did a survey, that's all they did. They did a survey and they found that 51% of their 911 calls did not actually need a police officer. They needed a social worker or some type of community liaison. That's what was required. Obviously, cops are not trained as social workers or community liaisons, right? And so what did they do? They responded to the data of their local government, of their local citizens. They decided to start hiring one social worker per every two police officers who either retired 
transferred or have been dismissed. So their numbers, their goal is to make a congruency between the need of that local community and what is actually offered. I think that's a good thing. Let's talk about defunding the police. Budgets, brother, that's what this is about. Now, if your city or county is saying, and, and Major, I want you to, to respond to this. If your city or county says, we hire more cops, we're now spending more money than ever before. That means your city or your county has failed you, brother, because they are admitting they have no idea how to resolve the elements of criminality that lead to this in the first place. For example, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, crimes of survival, crimes of poverty or out of poverty, mental health disorders. That's 88% right there, brother. 88% of your crimes are connected to one or multiple of the things I just described to you. So if your city is not reprioritizing their budget to say, let's figure out a way to address some of these underlying issues of criminality, then your city is failing you. When have you known a city, name one city that has arrested themselves out of socioeconomic dysfunction. Chicago has more cops than ever before, and they are spending more money on policing than ever before, and the crime rate is soaring more than ever before. So you uh, have examples of where it's not working, brother. I believe that's a, a, a great, uh, unique, um, that's a unique situation when you bring up Chicago. I wanna take it back to what you said earlier about the survey that was conducted versus you know, uh, the citizens saying that social workers would probably be more necessary versus officers. Well, you also have to understand that the psychological proponent and also mainstream media in regards to how they have changed the narrative in regards to what police officers represent as well. So if you conduct a survey and you ask individuals about police service versus social workers, they've been tainted so horribly, you have to agree with me and say that a percentage of that is kind of swayed, so to speak. Um, no, so sir. Like Major, I have to disagree. Let, let me opine. Most of the actual people, because they've been led to believe that police officers are not there. No, for sir, you're incorrect. Good. Let me opine on that. And this is why I encourage you to do the research. When I say survey, I'm referencing a survey of the actual 911 calls from citizens of Ithaca, New York, meaning they surveyed the 911 calls and said, well, damn. Roughly 50% of our citizens didn't even need a police officer. This wasn't a robocall, brother. This wasn't a, a, a something in the mail that said check one or two. This was actual data that could be actionable. I understand the foundation of Ithaca as well. And what you say, Ithaca, New York as well, because yeah. there could be bias there as well. So I can't like openly receive that. I, I hear you, I'm going to do my additional research on it as well. But I will say foundationally that there has been some bias that's been put out there whether it be through the community and their interactions, but also through mainstream media, social media as well. It's not um, as uh, broad as some may think, but it is an issue. We, we agree there needs to be reform. We agree there needs to be training as well. Um, and the captains and the police officers that I've talked to, uh, they, they share the same sentiments. They want to get better, they want to improve, uh, but it, it's a complex situation and we have to find a way to bridge that gap uh, uh, you know, to move forward. You're an entrepreneur. Uh, you've held multiple professional positions. Uh, in almost every profession, there's a level of self-critique uh, and self-analysis that must take place in order for that profession to continue to grow and adapt to the changing world. Policing, however, let me give you another stat. Policing, they solve about 2% of major crimes. A new stat came out just a few months ago. 11% um, 
in the best jurisdiction. So you have an effective rate for policing of two to 11%. What other government agency, and I say government agency intentionally because that means they are accountable to my money. What other government agency can express a two to 11% effectiveness rate and nobody get to question them? You know what I would ask you also, there should be a survey in regards to police officers presence being a deterrent for people as well. So I'm sure there will be a high percentage when it comes to the presence of police officers in communities at events to be a deterrent for individuals to carry out criminal acts as well. So there are so many psychological twists and turns when it comes to this and I get some of what you're saying, but there's so much more, so many more layers that's, that, should, that should be acknowledged when it comes to us attacking this issue and addressing it as such. All right, I only have about one minute left, brother. Um, tell me what you think should happen to reform the police. I think strong communication, more funding and better training, but also the input of the actual communities that they're policing. And I think it should be a broad push for the police department to push for individuals in those communities to sign up for the police academy as well. Okay. That, you know, that, that, uh, that'll change some of the dynamics. Uh, for how, me, about, how about mandated cameras, body cameras for all cops? I support that. Okay, how about uh, if a cop does anything to manipulate that data on the body camera, they can be charged with a felony for tampering with evidence? Oh, that happens in real life, so they should be held accountable. Good stuff. And how about uh, keeping a database of police officers that are bad actors so that we can be aware of who they are? I believe that already exists. That does not exist. It, it doesn't? No, sir. Okay, that's something that can be explored. I definitely want to protect their privacy as well. I don't want their families to be attacked. So I do Well, care. they know my record. They know your record. Why can't we know their record, brother? No, I get it. I get All it. Right. <laughs> My man, listen, it's been a pleasure. Major Williams, gubernatorial candidate, Republican. I appreciate you being on Indisputable in the bullpen. Absolutely, thank you so much, God bless you. Bless you, man.